to that to that end, right? As I said, I, I did try to be a bit, you know, self-critical, self-critical, right? Because I'm aware that I'm being an unreasonable prick, right? I get it. They're not that bad. There's far, far, far worse bands in the world. I don't begrudge them success or anything. It's not. It's not like oh, you think your big shot's coming for Scotland, and there is a bit of that in Scotland sometimes. But it's not that tall poppy. Right. Like, it's it's something else, and I can't quite put my finger on it. And I think it's because certainly where they started from, I related so much to it. The bands they were citing are bands that I grew up. They were really important to me. And at least at around about the same time that my band was starting, these guys had been together for a few years, and we were kind of. Along the same kind of lines And so obviously on one hand There's a fair bit of jealousy You know envy Like Would have fucking loved to have been Like the biggest band in the country Of course to some extent But then I think in order for that to happen They had to make certain decisions And they had to make certain changes And those sort of inform Why I just can't be fucking doing it Right so I tried to pick it apart a wee bit And feel free to shoot me down But the way I'd try and articulate it is like First and foremost I don't understand as I said, why bands that get to the stage where they're playing like a Wembley arena need to somehow then try and grab more land. How, why, when you're at the stage playing Wembley arena, what year was that that they did that? I think 2009. Right, so you're talking just after uh, part, it's between Puzzle and the year that uh, Only Revolutions came out, right? 2011, so, sorry, 2011. 11, so after Only Revolutions then, right? And you're still sounding like a rock band. You're still sounding like a big rock band with some credibility. And as I said, you've probably just released your two best songs uh, on that previous album. Why, with the likes of moving on into Opposites and Ellipsis, do you feel the need to compromise your sound even fucking more? This whole, like, suddenly, like, producers come in. Why weaken the product? Is it really that important? To expand your 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 audience and your market from there is there really that much more that you need to get that it justifies giving up on something that you'd worked so long to sort of foster and create and all that credibility that at least in the eyes of a lot of people, especially their fan base that they had, now they're at the point with ellipsis where they're alienating that fan base by blatantly being overproduced and fucking corny. It just reminds me of business in general. You get businesses that get so big but they're never satisfied. There's like an insatiability to big business that that seems to be no matter what you conquer, you never get someone going, oh that's that's fucking, we're doing great man let's just stop there, let's not buy any more premises, let's just keep it there and keep turning over all this money keep the product quality high, keep it reliable make people, like, not that you can't change it, you know, if you're a fucking fast food chain, alter your menu and that, but why keep expanding, why keep trying to burst into new areas and overextending Twenty years is a long fucking time, though. You know, like to be but in a band. Could, but you that's know, the point. Like, if you get to a level after, certain. like, what two thousand five, like, so after fifteen years, if you're at a stage where you're almost playing Wembley Stadium, fuck's sake, man, be fucking happy with that. Why do you then need to go and fucking get into bed with the producers just to make this shitty, watered down music? There's there's something so greedy, like, and insecure about that. It kind of speaks to like a sort of lo- like a hollowness, like a loss of meaning in the music they're making. It's like, what are we making this music for? We're making it to succeed. So we have to keep making more music to succeed even more. It's not about the quality or the meaning or the depth or the or the, the nobility of the art that they were making. I really fucking hate that about it. Because there was a point, there was a point between Puzzle and Only Revolutions where I would have fucking recanted and be like, man, to be fair, man, they've put out some really fucking good songs in the last few years. Like, it, like hats off to that. But they didn't. They just, they fucking like went back down the other side. Comments like the one about pop music being there, it's like, that is so fucking vapid and transparent pop music's where the real like edginess is. It clearly fucking isn't. And I think, you know, reading about, for example, Simon Neil talking about how he like idolised Kurt Cobain growing up, you completely missed the fucking point in Nirvana, mate. Like you completely missed it. Yeah, Kurt Cobain wanted to be big, absolutely. But he also didn't want the trappings with it. And the band were big despite their behaviour. Not because of their behaviour. Not because of their fucking arena rock shows. The band were big and sort of at every opportunity tried to sort of do little bits and bobs to sabotage it. Uh, going on Nirvana sh- were really subversive and Biffy have never been like that outwardly but, kind of thing, you know? And that's and I know they've never really said they were going to do that either. So I don't want to judge them on my own standards. But at the same time, I feel bad for a generation of kids seeing Biffy as like this great white hope of alternative rock music but then they just fail to deliver any real substance they deliver like vaguely poetic lyrics and a lot of angst for these fucking multi-millionaires now and they deliver big light shows and 
they always take their tops off and they have tattoos and you know it, it's like they deliver a lot of like the superficial parts of it I've got but, to admit I quite like the taps I think it's, but, uh, it's bringing a wee bit of Scotland to the rest of the world you know but they just they just don't deliver on the substance for what I can see and I I, I just I, I can't fucking get with it. Do, I wonder, do you think that's why they're still relevant now, though? Because they've because of the way it's changed and like you say, working with bigger producers and making it a bit more. They're not relevant though. They're just big. That's the thing. They're not relevant. What are they relevant to? They're just a big money making band now. They're like Foo Fighters. They're like it's big rock music with no particular substance. Every so, band copy, well, not every band, but lots of bands copy them. You can go and we can go at the night and see like four bands at least that copy them. Do you know? What but I mean? that's the thing. Copying a band is different from being inspired by like the originality of a band. So if you see a band like Radiohead is still relevant because Radiohead, you don't know what the fuck they're going to do next. And do you, you consider Biffy original? Like they're in their style of music? I think for a while it looked like they were going to be. I certainly think around about Infinity Land it looked like this is a band that might try and break the mainstream whilst doing it on their own terms and bringing mathy post-hardcore stuff into it and do like, maybe even like the way At The Drive-In seemed to in relationship with the command and that's a different story mm. obviously but you know there are ways to do it without completely compromising the substance but then they just seem to fucking back away from that and go for this bigger and bigger and bigger take and the bigger and bigger and bigger stage it's like why do you need to? I think Why do you need to do that? Like in terms of taking influence from like originality a lot of people won't do that I don't think that's I don't think bands or musicians have to do that. They might take away great songs. Like that's why Oasis is such a huge influence. We're not original by any stretch of the imagination. You know what? Though I'd, I'd actually, I'd, I'm sorry, I actually disagree with that, man. I think Oasis, in a lot of ways, are very inspiring for folk because Oasis. Yeah, are they are one, totally. Yeah, Oasis are one of the last breakout working class bands. Yeah. Like music has stopped being working class. But nobody goes there original. What? Nobody, like uh, the point yeah, I'm trying to make is like rip off the Beatles. Or? Yeah, my, my, the point I'm trying to make is like you said that a lot of people like aren't looking to aren't like looking at Biffy like originality and taking away from that because it's not there anymore, which is totally fine. You can be influenced by stuff which you which is just good tunes. Do you know what I mean? And Oasis are a good example of that, which is what I was saying. I think the thing is there's more to a band than just the sounds they're making. You know, I think you can be original in different ways. I think I you know, like different aspects of what they're bringing to the table. You know, but Oasis, fuck man, I don't fucking want to listen to Oasis, but goddamn, the amount of young working class people that still are like, yeah, there is a chance for me to not have to get a job doing the fucking garage or whatever because I'm good at guitar and it's still possible to be good at something and succeed. Like, you can represent that and sometimes that's probably even more important. I think, I agree, I totally agree with that, but the point I'm trying to make is like, not everybody sees that. They don't see like the original the originality aspect of it. They just see something they want to replicate, whether that is like whether that is ellipsis. Mm. You know what I mean? Whether that is the stuff which is which definitely isn't as interesting as the older stuff. But it's because they're bigger bands are arguably more influential. Do you know what I mean? Originality for a lot of people who are influenced by that kind of music, it's probably not even part of the conversation they have. Because yeah. not everybody thinks about music in the same way that we do. That's you know true. Yeah, I, I, I consider Biffy original mostly on the guitar playing style. It's it's quite being a three piece kind of thing. Like the way he plays guitar is quite weird at times, and then obviously singing at the same time. One of those probably affects the other kind of thing. Yeah, that's I've, where choices I've, will be. I've no doubt as well that Biffy Clyro's success has influenced like the sales of bands like Braid and stuff, and it's probably mm. introduced a lot of people to this whole world of like post hardcore and emo and stuff like real emo you know that that they, they would never have maybe discovered otherwise like sunny day real estate for example mm-hmm. bands like that um i think that's admirable but they failed to build upon that yeah from yeah. from a certain point it was like oh we've done this and that. i mean i mean as you know i don't think the first three albums are anything special mm. you know but that is just purely a matter of opinion and probably a fair bit of sour grapes from my perspective mm-hmm. right and i'm i'm Totally happy to acknowledge that. I don't think they're outstanding, but I think they clearly showed they had something special in the tank, which, by the way, I don't think a lot of folk assumed that they did. I think, like, the songs that came out, especially on Only Revolution, surprised even me. I didn't think they had the ability to write songs as good as the likes of Bubbles and Mountains and things like that. So that that, is, that showed that these actually, fuck, maybe I was wrong. Maybe they did have this potential. Um, but it feels like such a missed opportunity you know, um, and another thing, I know this is maybe a wee bit churlish, but Craig, you, you know, you've done a fair bit of promoting and stuff, man, and you can maybe use your, your better judgment as well. Do you think that Biffy Clyro are contractually obliged to take their shirts off? No, I think it's just, uh, 
it's just their power kind of thing. It's but, like it's a very Scottish thing. And uh, see, given that it's such a key part of their look, though, mm. right? So see, if you went to a Ramstein show and they decided they weren't going to do pyro that night, aye. you, you, the promoter would be fucking furious. It'd probably be the like it. There's, there's a wee, there's a wee throng in my my heart that this gets a bit proud. So fucking your ass taps off, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um. There's an, there's but do you think do you think they're <coughs> obligated to do it? Like, do you think nah. if if they did a show where they all kept a fucking jumper on, the, 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 <laughs> and the audience were like, "What the fuck?" There's like thirty thousand people in here, and you're fucking just standing with your fucking jumpers on. We expect you shirtless and jumping about. Like, what? This, I know it probably isn't the case, but what I'm trying to say is the absurdity of things that get that big, and things like the shirtlessness becoming cliched. Once the industry gets its hold, but they're the only band doing that. It's not like there's. Like, but that's the thing. It's almost it's like just, a trademark now. The wee hang, eh? Are they allowed not to do it? And that's what I mean. You so. know that this fucking thing is bloated when it's actually at a point where you're like, I don't know if they wouldn't get a row if they didn't take their tops off. I'm not saying they'd be in default contract necessarily, but certainly be like, fuck was all about. Was you not enjoy uh, it? Yeah, there's and another way you say to that as well about you know. Talking about the albums, there's definitely two sides to Biffy Clyro kind of thing. You can see where that change came as well. But another thing to know is that when Simon Neal became a fucking pinup, you know what I mean? Oh fucking all. It became a fucking sex I mean, symbol is, kind of thing. Be, and, and again, I, <clears throat> these guys could be totally lovely, and fucking all of us are guilty of it at times. And I know great people, male and female, who are incredibly vain, but they come across as incredibly fucking vain. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of ego in this band. Uh, there's no fucking getting away from that. Honestly, it's, it's such a spectacle and like the posed nature of it again feels like the apple has fallen so far from the tree of bands like Nirvana, even bands like Weezer, mm. the bands that switched them on in the first place. Like you can't imagine those bands like fucking doing half of the fucking modelly shit that these guys are doing now. And I think it's sad that a generation possibly could have had a band that, that brought not the sound of those older bands because they've obviously changed their sound, but at least the sort of sincerity of those older bands. But they opted not to. They've just become like they 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 were vaguely inventive in their songwriting, but now they're just this totally non-threatening arena rock band, and like the anti-Nirvana. Like I I just think that's that's sad, man. It's like, like it pisses me off. You know, I it just it feels like so much alt rock filler now when it had all this potential to become something really groundbreaking. It's just degenerate. Like I said, the, the Foo Fighters Snow Patrol thing, it's just, there are points in some of the later albums with the songs, yeah, it's a different voice, but ultimately the structures, the chords, the flow of the song, the tempo, the production, you're just like, man, this just sounds like M.O.R. Mm. I mean, you th- am, am I wrong? Am I just being like pure blinkered by my fucking loathing? No, no, like big bands have to be big bands, you know what I mean? It's not like you're saying get off the pot kind of thing. It's not like... There's another band just like waiting to step into their shoes. The band that's going to step into their shoes is going to be another fucking MOR stadium rock band, you know? Doesn't make it you're, right. you're not going to like either. But, but I know, but we're talking about Biffy Clyro and they chose to do that. It, 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 I mean, it, you're right, it would be someone else. But at the same time, we're not talking about the concept, we're talking about a specific band. Mm. And they made that choice and they went along with that and they clearly had the ability to write stuff that was edgy and also sell out stadiums. Like you said, they were writing big singles that weren't in 4 4 and doing things that were vaguely interesting and nuanced they didn't have i don't mean they didn't have to change their, their music but they certainly didn't have to become more and more diluted and lowest common denominator for there which is what they've done i think um it's probably a lot of it's got to do with like the economic concerns as well like it's their job now do you know what i mean it's the only thing they do for a living Mate, you're not telling me they were struggling to pay the gas bill no, when they were selling out wembley that's not what i was that's not what i'm going to say i was actually going to say the opposite of that i think once you become like it's, it's like for example if you're if you're used to living on like thirty five thousand pounds a year right and suddenly you get made redundant and the next job you take has to be 21 you're gonna have to cut fucking back your lifestyle it could be a case of that as well it's like you just don't want to change things because they're like making the money they make and doing something they enjoy at the same time but my point is they could have got to a sustainable point and tried to maintain that rather than this constant corporate expansionism that seems to be the, the, the tone with bands like Foo Fighters, bands like Queens of the Stone Age as well. Like corporate expansionism. We've got success. We need to water this product down and get it to more and more and more mouths, even if those mouths have a less discerning palate. And if, and if there's things too spicy for them, then let's water it down some more and let's get it to more mouths and just expand and expand and expand till you've got something so dilute that you probably alienate your original core base, but but this time you've picked up so many fucking drugs along the way that it doesn't matter because you've just got this big mulch of people out there just fucking swallowing your shit. Yeah. (laughs) Nice monologue. I'm fucking tired. (laughs) Uh, One thing I also want to say, uh, particularly with regards to ellipses, is I wonder if there's maybe a bit of burnout as well. 
on the on having to get more kind of production help in there because Crimea River. I, like they they wrote a lot of songs in their fucking career, man, and they wrote probably double as much for uh, they get paid to write. Yeah, but like, songs. I, I'm not defending that at all. I'm just saying, like, maybe the reason the quality is kind of dropped is, is because of that, you know, or maybe the reason that it feels a lot more standards is because they're not, they don't have the capacity to actually write this stuff they, they, they're contractually obliged to write. And another thing, in like 2005, we played with Marmaduke Duke and we were doing all right and we sound checked and then we nipped out to get food because we weren't given food in the rider. We came back in and the gig was sold out. They wouldn't let us backstage to our changing room because the band were backstage with some girls. So we had to stand at the end of the bar and try and eat our dinner. And the owner of the bar was fucking yelling at us the whole time, get that fucking food out of here. And we were like, we'd love to, but the band won't let us use any of the backstage area because they're back there entertaining with their fucking fans. So, yes. I wouldn't let you in my dressing room either. I'm better. (laughs) So it's been an hour and 20 minutes. Should I talk about the record? <laughs> Actually, no. But I mean, uh, Bodies in Flight. The screams in this are shit. I, I don't like the guys screaming stuff. It really doesn't work for me. Um, I, I kind of feel like a lot of the screaming has got the distortion pedal on it kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, um, that, that doesn't age very well. Yeah. It's kind of shit yeah. I was doing playing in metal bands and all the rest yeah. of it, you know, it's like. I think unless it's produced tactfully, that can really grow old. Yeah. It also shows that you can do it to, to the power and with a grit that mm. you're going to need to if you're going to be in, if you're going to try and do screaming stuff, which is probably why they don't do it anymore. It's not terrible, but it, it doesn't set me in fire. Uh, the Ideal Height, the second track. I think actually the backing vocals in this one are the first time where you get hints that this band might have some yeah. pop thoughts and I agree. it's kind of cool. You're like, mm, and they've got some promise. They've got some stuff bubbling under there that has some kind of like ambitions of, you know, accessibility. That's pretty cool. It's a single. So, um, yeah. I don't think the tune's awesome. This, is, this is one of the tamer ones as well. This is this more like you might find it on Black and Sky, but it's a bit more yeah. pop here. Well, the, the, the timings on it are good though. I think they've oh, done, yeah, they did yeah. a good job of breaking up the kind of conventionality of it. Um, with a plum is just textbook bland Scottish alt rock. Like there was <laughs> so fucking much of that kind of rock at that time. And I, I really feel like the orchestration is like putting lipstick in a pig. What do you think, Craig? Uh, I, I don't mind this song at all. It's not not my favourite song in the album. Um, I like hearing the the orchestration in there just because that's that was another string to the bow. Excuse the pun, I guess that they didn't have before. Really, um, I didn't even realise the pun until you said excuse <laughs> the pun. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you said with the vocal thing in the last song, it belies that ambition of trying to, mm. of trying to put keep one eye on what you might do if you had a lot more money. Yeah, the good vocal switching in there as well is, is something I really liked. But um. Yeah, that, that's when you, you, yeah, you get hints of what, what, what's to come later, mm-hmm. I think, starting with this song. Bodies in Flight, Ideal Height, is strange strange choices for to open the album as well, I think. Yeah. Um, I think Ideal Height was a single. Um, the, the other it was, it was a well. second single, right? And Bodies in Flight, is in, just to go back to that as well, is interesting because it's completely different from Black and Sky, so you can see them setting up shop and going, by yeah. the way, we're going for another right here, but we're going somewhere completely different. And I think they went drop D on, on that as well, so mm-hmm. they were... Um, they kind of dropped it for that, that heavier kind of tone as well. One thing that annoys me about Simon Yu's uh, guitar tone is that it always, it never sounds heavy enough if it want to be heavy. That's actually, you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> Cars on the table, I know, I know the guys and I had uh, had uh, the twins at my house in Melbourne there for their, their birthday just uh, six months ago or something. And um, fuck, course, they're not going to be returning your calls. Uh, <laughs> guys, this was completely my idea, right? So Craig did say just fucking... Toe the line, and I refused. 
<laughs> but they were talking about uh, back in the day. I, I used to I toured with them on this this album as well. Mm. I was that was back in those days, and I think I made a comment to Simon about how his guitar wasn't heavy enough. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. It's like metal zone or whatever kind yeah. of thing. I was playing in metal bands at the time, and I was like playing in drop C and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, it's like he's like, I'll fucking tell you what's heavy, but it's apparently it's always stuck with him to be like, yeah. well, you know, that fucking me dick. Tell me it wasn't <laughs> heavy enough. <laughs> A day of. One of the songs on the record. Actually. That's that's my favourite. Yeah, um, it's about taking mushies. I won't. I won't read my notes then. <laughs> I just like it's just this stuff is like pure ten a penny. It didn't work for me yeah. at all. Again, touring and gigging and putting on shows at this time, Scotland was fucking chock a block with this kind of music, and it was much more muchness. They were the, they were probably the at that time they were the band with the biggest record deal as well. So putting this out for a lot of people who just heard the band, this is like holy shit. What is this? Yeah, it definitely was around a lot then. Even I was like 18 and I remember it being around then and I wasn't particularly in, like into oh, the scene that much fucking everything this song like the, the guitars at the end of this song where it kind of raises that kind of octave thing mm-hmm. like I, I love it sets me off at that time I don't know how old I was kind of thing probably 18, 19 or something like that and I was like yeah that just sets me off like it I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm not feeling it but uh, liberate the illiterate Among Among the Mingers with uh, the, the second part of the title now removed from Spotify yeah Among Among the Mingers they yeah. did have a couple of like wee moments with <laughs> totally politically incorrect things that haven't aged well in this progressive era that we mm-hmm. now live in yeah There's a couple of nice wee guitar lines in this tune actually yeah. But the bass tones are fucking rank uh, Is that the oh, Remind me, is that the one with the, the, the Call and response bass and guitar? It's got a kind of A-team kind of doing it yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it, the one part about The bass yeah, tone yeah. jumps about, and you can yeah, tell yeah, it's yeah. been recorded in like different. Yeah, takes, yeah, totally. It's yeah. so fucking yeah. uneven and yeah. fucking. Uh, you can tell it's like they've maybe not used a click track. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. It just it just doesn't marry. It just like it sounds like it's jumping between yeah, takes totally, and not yeah. in, a, in a like a natural way. I can see what they're going with the bass. I can see exactly what they're going for with the bass tone there, but they just don't achieve it. I just don't think they had the gear, the budget to actually achieve like the. The proper like thick fuzzy. Do you want to shit. talk about that as well? You yeah, did the research even... on the album as well. Like so, thing I think to note is that they did sixteen tracks in one day. Yeah, I mean that's you actually know, that's... we should have kind of preempted it with that because sixteen tracks in one day is fucking astonishing. That is astonishing. Yeah, absolutely astonishing. Yeah, and what's the producer called again? Chris, Chris Sheldon. Sheldon, Chris and he, yeah. I mean, he his back catalogue is outrageous. Like the stuff that he's worked on. So, yeah, they, boys, they, big country. <laughs> worked for them. Gun. <laughs> Therapy, Anthrax. Did you say gun? Anthrax, a hundred reasons. Yeah, a lot of stuff, man. Um, yeah, I mean, they were incapable hands, but regardless of that, recording that much music in a day is fucking incredible. I would absolutely give them that. And clearly there was a lot of overdubbing, especially the orchestration. But uh, there came in later, it's the guy from Therapy did that, wasn't it? Yeah. Wait a second, right. It says on Wikipedia it was recorded in 2002-2003 in three different studios. Well, that would be the overdubbing. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they they laid down the basic tracks. So I think. Yeah, I remember. I, I was I was on tour with them, mm-hmm. staying at the Beggars Flat when when they went away and did this, and I was like, oh, what you done today? It's like went and did the album. I was like, aye, is that it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just so, a day. No, I mean, <laughs> pretty metal. So all of these digs I'm having, I do intend to kind of roll up in admiration of like. Fucking hell! This is a snapshot album. Yeah, they they were so hard working back then. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, all those tours we were doing where we were bands like Cooper Temple, Claws, and those guys, In Me, and all these kind of things. Those and, guys, and it was in See, that. In Me, of, that's the thing though. In Me are that much of a muchness alt rock. This was still in mm-hmm. that NME era. Era totally. They, yeah. were, they were putting on like NME were putting on tours. You know, mm-hmm. like going around the unis and all that kind of thing. And Biffy were very much a part of that scene as well. Yeah, but they're super hard working. And really did it on a budget. This was like... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Transit van, and fucking, like, me and Stevie Broadfoot. Big shout out to Stevie Broadfoot, who passed away, sadly. 
Um, he was their tour manager. I worked as a bouncer at King Tuts. He was my boss and we went to uni together and he's like, do you want to come on tour? And that was, that's how I met Biffy. Cool. Kind of thing, you know? But yeah, Stevie Broadfoot, shout out to him. Yeah, man. Like, he was a legend. That is, that is definitely something that, that deserves more credit, I think. You know that. Yeah, I mean, the entire analysis of this record has to come in that context of like, fucking hell, these guys battered most of this down in a day. That was a long fucking day as well. Yeah, and you, you can, it does feel loose. It's quite lo-fi, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, there's, there's not a lot of production value but there. you spoke about well. it earlier on. That actually makes you feel closer to it. So for mm-hmm. all that I'm not blown away by a lot of the actual individual songs, the album has a personability, a sense of immediacy and mm-hmm. a sense of cohesion because it was all done s- mm-hmm. within such a small time frame that makes it like a real proper glimpse thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to show yeah. my hand here. But Again, this is a long album as well. This is this too long. long. It's, it's, like a, it's the second longest record. The one, yeah. the only one that's longer is, is Opposites, which is not even that much longer. It's than getting, that. to be fair, though, it's hindered by a fucking massively long last song. Yeah, it's eight yeah, minutes it's or something. Yeah. Last yeah. Yeah. Um, Diary of Always, track six on it. Um, I actually really like that vo- vocal intro they do, the multiple mm. harmonised vocal yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wish we all could be Trey. I just wish we all could be Trey. I just wish we all could be Trey. Really innovative And it showed Again Much to my frustration That this is a band That had a lot of Fucking good ideas And a lot of like Yes they were assimilating These ideas from loads Of other good bands As every band does But they had the potential To do things That would open the minds Of people that then Listen to them mm. And I feel like Fuck man that's That's so good And it frustrates me No end That they didn't do That sort of thing More often Yeah, it's got um that's that gives hints to where they would probably finally become, you know. Yeah, I mean as as with that vocal bit on uh, ideal height, you can hear Mm. pop sensibilities in there. Get a bit of Mogwai in this song as well. I don't think you can come from Scotland and not have a bit of Mogwai, man. There's such a fucking massive Mm. overarching influence. And speaking Um, of other Scottish bands that are overarching influences, uh, questions and answers sounds like Idlewild. It does, yeah, that's... Um... Well, funnily enough, I've got a mixture of Sebado and Seafood, and that's exactly what Idle World sound like, it's a mixture <laughs> of Sebado and Seafood. Seafood were a London-based band who may appear on the show at some point, um, who were a really fucking charming, very imperfect little like alternative indie band who could get a bit squawky and screamy and sonic youthy, but also would do like really sweet country-ish kind of indie stuff. This has a, a lot of the ingredients of that, and they were kind of peers at that time and working on beggars and stuff like that as well. I, th- I think this is this is a really weird song in the album. This is like this is like the pop single or something like Absolutely. You know? I think yeah. the song elevates them. Um, I think this is when you look back at that album, even though there's other songs that people know, this is the one that stands out as being like showing that they had another gear. Yeah, it's one of my not one of my favourites in the album at all. The, it's got real real nice hook in it. I love the harmonies mm-hmm. that, that come in. Um but it's I guess it just wasn't heavy enough for me at the time. I think but I think if you're an A and R guy and you're thinking this band's got a bit of support, you listen to this and you go, Yeah, they'll definitely be open to being moulded a wee bit because they've got the potential to condense things and trim things down and that sh- that that song sort of I think is evidence of that. Um Do you think the deal maybe came on this record and then they were they were told do another album then come? Puzzle was three years after yeah. the next album. So I don't know and the fact that Puzzle had the Beggars logo on it initially as well I'm not sure I suspect there's something a bit more complicated going on there man I'm not, I'm not sure what that is I think maybe that like I tried to hint at that Zane Lowe appearance with the Franz Ferdinand cover a band on Beggars getting a live lounge slot getting a really big cover of another band to then get shared about another Scottish band as well yeah is- that could have been I think they had promise with these albums and I think what might have turned the heads of Warner that we think? was that sudden like Radio 1 endorsement and all that kind of stuff. I think that's probably more likely. Um, eradicate the Doubt. Eradicate 
an interesting guitar on it. Um, it was also a single. But I think the was it single? Eh? Yeah. I think unfortunately they seem to do that. Let's step in the distortion pedal thing a bit too much. Uh, in terms of it being a, a solution for where is the song going to go? A Nirvana dynamic almost. Nah. Yeah, no, I mean, but like the whole like loud, quiet dynamic thing is a whole staple of, of that. Yeah, but not in music. place of a hook. Yeah. Like, you know, when Nirvana stepped on a fucking distortion pedal, it was usually a big chorus, you know. Um, the, the chorus hints at kind of epic ideas in this one kind of hints like, at some Yeah, the loud, quiet dynamic, you mean, that's that's pretty much a marker of this album. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's a lot of that quiet, loud, and and then Simon's guitar playing, like we talked about, is, that's quite weird. Mm-hmm. And, and amongst those those spots as well. Mm-hmm. I do think the guitar stuff in this song really helps it. I should also say that like, like quiet loud thing, Nirvana took that for Pixies, so it wasn't yeah, like yeah. a Nirvana thing. Um, when the factions... Which to me just sounds like a bit of Jawbox, uh, who I'm guessing they probably listen to. Yeah, when I fact, that's a good song, man. I like that song a lot. It's all right. It sounds like Jawbox, and Jawbox is like really Jawbox, good. So. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't sound like the best Jawbox tune. Yeah, it's quite quite fun though. You know the way, ooh, ass, and all that kind yeah, of it's, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's some cool like, ideas, isn't it? Um, uh, you can sh- feels fun to me. You know, mm-hmm. they don't uh, take themselves too seriously. Toys, 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 choke, toys, toys, toys. My favorite song on the album. So this was like a split A-side with a track from their previous album Jones originally, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think it sounds more akin to the first album as a result. It's obviously like a bridger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind it. I'm not huge in it. What is it that totally there's, your there's that, that bit with the uh, what do you like the guitar ring out and it's just a mm-hmm. snare going. Yeah, it fucking sets me off. Love yeah. it. Right. Um, okay, all the way down. So beige, yeah. so fucking beige. I have a real problem as well with falsetto Scots accents. Like we do it a lot. It's got it back and round Really fucking does me in because I had spent so many years trying to EQ and get monitor levels for bands that would go for screaming to doing shitty wee Scottish falsettos and just. The monitor, headache, f- yeah. and you're like, yeah, get some fucking mic discipline, mate. Yeah, yeah totally. um, So I think this just bring, brings back bad memories. Listen, I remember saying earlier on about um, the drummer singing kind mm. of thing. This, you really hear him singing on yeah, this. Yeah, like, yeah. He's got a pure gruff voice as well, so it's like completely different designs. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, it, and you hear that coming in, it's like, it's like Michael Bolton or something yeah. like that, you know? It's not gruff, husky, like kind of husky voice. Yeah, like that, yeah. He's got a great voice, but would this band work if he was a singer? I don't know if, if it would be unique enough. Thing is, he's got a contemporary voice. Yeah, I think it would probably would be. They probably would be more like I don't know, like a, probably like a sort of emo post hardcore band if he was singing mm. like as opposed to the weird kind of alt rock thing that became. Mm. Um, number twelve, a man of his appalling posture. I thought this was the one that had to do with like a, a phone number or something like that with the timings. I could be way wrong. If I'm way wrong, somebody put me right. I don't really care enough about this band to get it right, but I <laughs> think I picked that up somewhere. It's interesting. Um, I think it's one of the better tracks. I like the mathiness of it. It's pretty short and sharp as well. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't fuck about too long. Yeah, I guess I guess out and gets um, the job done. And I feel, as I say, I feel this album's like a little bit long. Okay, we're going to talk about the last track, which is Now the Action is on Fire, which I think is long. It's kind of boring. 
think the tones sound pretty cheap in this tune like they rushed it a wee bit albeit you've been recording all day maybe you would um, do you think maybe it's so long was they were just like let's just let's just can get through this and and maybe maybe it's longer than it should have been yeah think, I, I it's kind of a song in three parts kind of thing feels unworked this tune and I, I'm just not fussed about it at all I actually believe this, this could have been with a bit more brevity this could have been a pretty outstanding record like, I think there's enough good stuff on it that they could have clipped out three of these tunes and had a really strong 10 track album like wow like, holy shit their second album yeah. is really really good up until Ellipsis you could probably say that for all the records to be honest let's stop saying Ellipsis <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> it's had way too much fucking yeah. airtime. that's how they get you yeah. they make you say it because it's bad because any publicity is good publicity Mark and the more we talk about it the more we encourage people to go and listen to Biffy Clyro's shitty seventh album Ellipsis don't listen to that record kids <laughs> right and I, I think you've talked about it as well but I think the thing we were, we were chatting about before as well is like how did how did this band on this record become that yeah, band. you know the biggest band in Europe. That's the fucking biggest question over it's over wild. this entire band is like, what was it about this fairly humble, interesting alternative rock band making okay albums? In my opinion, I know some people love them. That's fine. We can disagree. Certainly didn't hate them. Um, to to make this jump up to this fucking arena act, it would be gra- definitely graft. Obviously, as a huge part yeah, of it graft, because yeah. nobody worked harder than these guys did in the, at the start. Probably, Mate, probably even now, to be honest. And then being it, being in the right, being probably just being in the right place at the right time. I'm pretty sure that they were they were in a they were in a room somewhere just with the right guy at Warner Bros. Going, these guys could do the thing. And I mean, once they were on Warner, it's clear when she starts seeing some of those tours that they were getting put on. The agent, the two, the booking agents, the management, the label themselves were pulling a lot of levers for them. And as they, I said, they've had the same crew the whole time as well. Same. Um, no, but they, they did not yeah. have the same label backing them. No, yeah. See, to get on a Muse, a Rolling Stones, to get on those kind of tours, it takes fucking connections. Man. Muse are a fucking interesting parallel as well, because um, they they do some weird stuff and they can be heavy at times as well. Mm-hmm. And Muse what? are another weird band that I yeah. don't understand how like, they got to where Muse, they got Muse's to. Muse's first tour was supporting Chili Peppers across the states. Some of these A and R guys, they must be like, they must just see something and be like, how can that? Go from, you know, music, well, muscle museum same, kind of thing up to now this mad prog fucking... I'm not so sure about that. I think it's a really <coughs> fucking, like, throw enough shit at the wall and see what sticks. Because how many big, big shows have we been to and we could not name the support band? It's just every so often one of them takes. I mean, I went to see Tool. I couldn't tell you who supported Tool twice. Mm-hmm. Now, that is like a dream ticket if you're a fucking mm-hmm. young proggy metal alternative band. Almost every band I've ever seen with Tool, I, I can't tell you who the fuck it was. So yeah, we remember Muse in hindsight and we go, wow, they did that tour. Or Biffy Clyro, wow, they did that tour. But, you know, it's not because of the tour, but certainly the constant exposure, the constant like elevation in the esteem of the people around you, even just the bluff factor of getting on the radio, of DJs getting right behind you, guys up in Scotland like Vic Galloway and Jim Gellatly at the time, who I think was the first guy to ever play them on radio. Really? Um, like These guys were well on side pretty early on because this is one of the bands from the country that was doing things mm. and they had accessible, fairly radio-friendly music. And so you start to acquire um, a critical mass in this one territory and it just sort of goes from there. They are a puzzle to me, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> but I think there had to come a point where it was impressed upon them if you want to go to this next stage, you're going to have to start making compromises. I doubt that was an entirely obvious thing for them musically one of the things you touched on earlier on was talking about um fans of this band have to dig a bit deeper into their influences and peers as well yeah even even their the big stuff as well that they're doing stuff that's really quite unusual mostly in the time signatures and all that as well if i'm thinking about like kids nowadays you know who are any biffy and then they have to go back to the back catalog this is why this is important you know because it's night and day between them and i, and I like the feeling that someone's going to get into something a bit more interesting because of this you know Feels nice. <laughs> I mean, if I'm to cut to the chase, I, I, from my perspective, I'm actually going to say, yeah, I think this should go in. And that is loaded with so many caveats because I've spent most of this telling you why I think they're such a fucking pain in my hole. But 
the fact this was recorded in such a short period of time, the fact it's such a true snapshot of a moment in their career, I think that almost the context of the album is far, far, far more interesting and impressive than the album itself. Even things down to like the artwork and the fact that it sort of some people were shaking their heads and tutting. And yeah, that, that was a weird choice as well. The Italian yeah. artist Milo Manara. Yeah. He, he did all the single covers as well. Vaguely provocative, sort of sexualized vaguely misogynistic but not really you but, know just like weird choice like yeah. um it's aesthetically it's pleasing but it doesn't say anything about the album it yeah. doesn't say anything about the band doesn't either. even feel particularly it's, akin to the band I, I think there's just an oddness to this album that i think is worth putting in even if you took all the music off the fucking album i think there's enough going on around the band the context of the band the time frame the amount of work there the work ethic the sense of like that core support, that Mon the Biffy crowd that you get up here. I imagine most of the the, the core Biffy audience nowadays probably don't even know this album particularly oh, yeah, well. The, the ma- think, you know? Yeah, the ma- mm. the majority of them at least would have been finding it out working backwards. They certainly wouldn't have known about it, mm. and I doubt it really marries with their their sense of what Biffy is. Mm. If you've grown up listening to them in uh, you know arenas and you're trying to go back to when they were doing these weird mm. songs in clubs, mm. um, so yeah, put it in for that for that sense. I'm not for a minute saying it should go in based on the, the sheer quality of its music because I really don't think it, mm-hmm. it well, just up for the books. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I remember when that record came out, and all my fans, all my pals are Biffy Clyro fans. And all my fans. All like. my fans. <laughs> I wish I had Check fans. Check the now. ego in that. Well, what are what do fans feel like? I don't know. <laughs> I've heard um, about you. <laughs> um, but a lot of my friends were Biffy Clyro fans, and this this was this is when it started, right? This is when the Biffy Clyro we know begun. I mean, Black in the Sky, whatever. This is when they started to become the band that we know as Biffy Clyro. Um, and I think the context that like you just described, Chris, is super important around this as well because for better or worse, they've changed the, the landscape of Scottish music um, probably much the same way I imagine Oasis did for English music. In the same way as a McDonald's changes the landscape in the outskirts of town. <laughs> and the landscape of your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I've about to put this in because it's their best record. It's Probably their, it's probably their most interesting record. And you no, think I it's think Infinity Land's more interesting? I, see, I think if I, I listen to Infinity Land, obviously thinking we're doing that. And <laughs> their best record's only Revelations and the most inter- interesting record's Infinity Land. But this is, their, this is the most interesting snapshot of something, I think. I think Infinity Land is too weird for weird sake. So I'm glad that I don't think it's a great. Do, do, do you think either Infinity Land or this could come out today and have any any kind of cut through? I think this absolutely could not. To a little, to a small extent, maybe not on the same level. I think. I, I think don't even think those albums could come out in 1994 and have any impact. <laughs> yeah. They had to come out just long enough after the first wave of that stuff to capitalise upon ears that hadn't heard it before. Yeah, I think that's a big part. Yeah, and coming out then, internet wasn't massive then. I yeah. guess you know so iPhones not, and stuff. I, I don't. I think they are also the product of the circumstances, and that's why I think the circumstances in the case of this album are almost more important than the album itself. I think that's. I think this record could come today. Come out could come out today and make some kind of impact, but it would not sound this way because it would just. Recorded in a bedroom, yeah, and it would yeah. sound significantly better because of the the, the leaps in technology and stuff like that. Um, or maybe they just not bother, and then I could have listened to something else today, and <laughs> I'd be watching the football right now. Oh well, <laughs> but uh, for me, I would put it in because it's probably their most important records as well, more than anything else. Right there, you go, Biffy, you bastard. So you've got your fucking record in, despite all my bitching. Um, I'll see, see what your uh, see what your listeners think. You know? Can yeah, I get exactly. a successful, uh, successful at least from from this side of the the fence? But it'll be interesting to see if people are behind you. I think this will be a very divisive one in the threads. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be fascinating to see all the different. Yeah, yeah. See, like I've got a kind of personal connection to it, kind of thing, and it's like I just find it's so like like we said ad nauseum this time. It's like I just find it so so weird that this then became like what they are now. Like oh, I think I kind of get me bizarre. Right? Right? Yeah, really, yeah. really strange. So, Craig, uh, <laughs> did you do a Nexus? <laughs> Aye. Uh, very, very briefly. So it's going to be That's a Mark. That's all right, man. It's your first yeah. time. A Mark style one. <laughs> yep. Even, uh, if it's, uh, even if it's over really quickly, we'll tell you it was good. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> hey. For time, I'll try and get some terrorism in there or whatever. Well, Craig's uh, well, uh, preparing himself because it's his first time. Um, the name pulled out the hat this week was, funnily enough, The Man With No Name. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was suggested by Alessandra Sorrentino from Chirin. Yep. And uh, The Man With No Name is a star of Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, Good, Bad and Ugly. The, prote- the protagonist of those Sergio Luna films, yeah. Well, the protagonist, sorry, yeah. Uh, played by Clint Eastwood, yep. uh, in case you're wondering. Uh, well, I, 
Uh, since it is your first time though, Mark, do you want to go first? Yeah, then? so my laptop's died, so I'm just in there from memory, so it might be slightly inaccurate. I, I apologise. Right, okay. Um, so the orchestration on the Biffy Clyde, Al- Biffy Clyde Albums puzzle and Only Revolutions, and I believe Opposites as well, was done by David Campbell, who is the dad of Beck. That's not the link, but it's just a fun the thing. The Scientologist guy. Yeah, they're both Scientologists, yeah. yeah. David Campbell did, uh, he actually did the score for the film Days of Thunder. Fuck off. Directed by no way. Yeah, directed by Tony Scott. Oh <laughs> uh, boy. Yeah, and that film is the the classic kind of seventies, sixties, seventies like character actor Robert Duvall, who also starred in a film in nineteen a, a western film in nineteen seventy three with Clint Eastwood called Joe Kid. He also Robert Duvall was he not also an Unforgiven? I think he was. Yeah. 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 There you go. Brilliant. Double whammy. Job done. Craig, you want to go next? I had no time to prepare for this, so. And I've not been in bed in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I just remembered uh, uh, Biffy done a cover of Love and Sex and Magic featuring Justin Timberlake. And Justin Timberlake was well, in the movie. But Justin Timberlake wasn't in the Biffy cover, but he was in the original. Is that it's right? Kiara or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and Justin Timberlake was in a movie with Clint Eastwood called Trouble with the Curve. And he was a man with no name. That's a that's, Mark S. That is a, that's a very, yeah. like, yeah. I wish I had more time. Be for, be for the nine. <laughs> All right, well, uh, cut it out. I'll take up <laughs> the slack. Uh, Biffy Claro is a band. Uh, <laughs> is that it? And, they, uh, and they've seen a film with Clint Eastwood and they go, In one of the many occasions that they went viral, uh, they went viral when a fella called Nick Knowles was on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Um, Nick Knowles is like a BBC handyman DIY SOS mate <laughs> Yep from the show DIY SOS If you want to be great that's what I show you watch Many many others as well uh, One called Home is Where the Art Is um, Where he helped people commission individual bits of art Nick Knowles has released an album On Universal uh, Known as Every Kind of People And he claims a deal was offered to him After he was seen jamming on a rooftop In Soho with the guys with Biffy Clyro um, What? Yep, true. Uh, on the rock star story, you can imagine. <laughs> on the album Every Kind of People, uh, Nick Knowles covered the song Here Comes the Sun. Here comes the sun, dun, dun, dun. here comes the sun. I say it's alright. By uh, a little-known British uh, metal band called The Beatles, which featured a guy called John Lennon. John Lennon had a wife called Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono <laughs> once bought a blade of grass from Salvador Dali for $10,000 uh, after she had actually asked Salvador Dali if she could buy, I think it was one of his moustache hairs, or his little mini beard hairs, uh, and he said, yeah, sure, I'll sell you a moustache here for 10000 He got one of his assistants to go and find a dry blade of grass, put it in a box and sent it to Yoko Ono and kept the money. Because that's how Salvador Dali fucking rolled. <laughs> right, Salvador Dali has got some absolutely amazing... man legend. <laughs> amazing facts about him. You know Chupa Chups lollies? Aye. The logo for Chupa Chups was designed by Salvador Dali. Fuck's sake. That is mental. They still use it. Right, true fucking fact. Uh, Salvador Dali believed he was the living reincarnation of his dead brother. His brother died exactly nine months before Salvador Dali was born. Uh, which also means, by the way, that his parents were shagging either the day his brother died <laughs> or the, just oh. shortly after. So mechanics I mean, that's one way to deal with the grief. Uh, Salvador Dali was obsessed with cauliflower. Cauliflower. Um, yeah, partly because of the golden ratio. Uh, you know the the, yeah. the spirals yeah. um, uh, fractals and stuff but also just because he loved to taste the cauliflower and he made some comments like everything comes down to cauliflower something like that uh, Salvador Dali uh, once created a hologram of and with Alice Cooper uh, and <laughs> they were apparently pals uh, and Alice Cooper after the project was done was like man I love it can I keep it and Salvador Dali apparently laughed and went of course not this thing's worth millions <laughs> <laughs> and Alice Cooper was like yeah Salvador Dali I loved him but you could never tell when he was being serious and when he wasn't he's a, just a pattern um, <laughs> and my favourite story about Salvador Dali which again I've probably said in the podcast in the past but I don't give a shit because unless people have listened to every episode they've probably not heard it Salvador Dali towards the end of his life he loved being the fucking main man about town he loved throwing parties and big meals and stuff like that and he couldn't afford it and so he used to go around like Catalonia and that kind of area of Spain throwing these huge fucking banquets in restaurants and then at the end of the meal he would write a cheque 
but then in the back of the cheque he would sketch the owner of the restaurant and the original Salvador Dali sketch on the back of the cheque was worth so much more than the actual cost of the meal that Salvador Dali just built, racked up this massive debt writing these cheques and then drawing the owners on the back of the on the back of the cheques and if you went round uh, Catalonia in the north uh, northeast of Spain you would see all these cheques framed in these restaurants because he didn't have to pay for any meals uh, that was his mo um, anyway uh, there was a guy a famous guy who changed his name to Charles Salvador and he changed his name to Charles Salvador in honour of uh, Salvador Dali uh, he had also previously been known as Charlie Al Ahmed. Uh, his birth name was Michael Gordon Peterson, but the name we know him best by is Charles Bronson. Oh, and I'm talking crazy mad prisoner Charlie Bronson, mm. uh, played by uh, what's his name? Tom Hardy. Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy uh, in the movie, uh, mad fucking rage that will never get out of jail because he keeps <laughs> punching and biting guards the day that they're taking him to get his stuff. Who also, by the way, Charlie Bronson published an exercise book called Solitary Fitness. Yep. So how, how to like work that, yeah. out in a fucking tiny little concrete room. Um, Charlie Bronson uh, is named after Charles Bronson, the American actor. Death uh, Wish. Death Wish, Murphy's Law. Uh, also played the character Harmonica in Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, by the way, Charles Bronson's original name was Charles Buczynski. He was actually Lithuanian, not American. Yeah, yeah oh. changed it. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, well, scored by Ennio Morricone. Clear another spaghetti western, but probably the most interesting link from that is that Charles Bronson actually turned down the role of the man with no name that Clint Eastwood later took. Wow. So there you have it. And Excellent. that's a fucking nexus, guys. That's a theme XI for, for, for us. <laughs> Craig, wow. it's been a fucking joy having yes, you here, man. I'm really you. glad we were able to do this. Thanks and well. even though I hated listening to Biffy Clyro, and I'm really looking forward to deleting everything off of my fucking MP3 player, I... Chris starts an MP3 player, guys. Just, I, yeah. <laughs> it's because it fucking stops me being distracted. It doesn't take calls. That's why you need to donate to the podcast. <laughs> yes, please. I need a bigger MP3 player. <laughs> to be fair, it's 8 gig. That's not getting me anywhere. Um, there are bands that we've covered. I mean, Parliament's more than 8 gig. Why should I Um... But yeah, so next week we'll be doing Parliament and that's all been discussed already and that's uh, that's history, guys. Uh, but I want to say huge thanks to Craig for doing yeah, this. thank you. For flying from Australia just to do this podcast. Yeah, it's, it's a commitment, isn't it? <laughs> um, the proviso was always that we come uh, to, your, to your, place. your place, but your place is far too far away. <laughs> so. Good luck with that. And we've discussed it's, it's not all it's uh, cracked up to be. Yeah. Although they do good coffee. I mean, if, if, if we keep getting a lot of money, then we can maybe get flights to come over to see you, but that's, you know, that's um, a way down the line. And heads up again to David uh, and his family. Hope everyone's good. He'll be back next week. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for dropping by. Um, I hope that was a nuanced enough explanation of why every time I hear the name Biffy Clyro, I want to jump out a window. Well, thanks, guys. Oh, thanks for having me. Cheers. No, you can't.